This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program, the Friday edition. We end another week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions and life questions, anything that's on your heart or mind. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585 if you're outside the local San Antonio area. You can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email us uh, your question by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And if you are in your car driving on our wet streets this afternoon, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. We've got a lot going on this weekend here at Calvary Chapel. I know you do too, wherever you are going to church. Tonight I am continuing the series we're doing uh, as we arrived in Ephesians chapter 6 on the weapons of our spiritual warfare tonight. Just one verse, uh, verse 17, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Now, I'm only going to barely, barely touch on the sword of the Spirit. That's going to be the whole next Friday night study. Uh, I love talking about God's Word. But tonight, the helmet of salvation, if you are in a battle for your life, and spiritually speaking, you are. There's an enemy who wants to destroy. Um, This has been a really good series. Last week, the shield of faith. Uh, Tonight, the helmet of salvation. And a little tiny bit of the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Also, on um, we have prayer tomorrow morning. Uh, I think my favorite hour of the week is uh, our Saturday morning corporate prayer. We'll be here tomorrow at 9.30. And then um, Paul and I have the privilege. I'll be preaching at Calvary Chapel Southside. Uh, Pastor Ken will be filling in for me here, uh, but uh, I'm going down there to to be blessed by the people uh, there at Calvary Chapel Southside and uh, uh, pray for us. I, want, I always want to be a blessing when we're invited to go somewhere else. I don't go very much, but when I do, um, I want to be happy they ask. So I would appreciate knowing that you guys are all praying. Okay, let's get to questions while we await your phone calls. The first question is from Greg, and he says, uh, Pastor, and who are the other sheep in John 10? Um, Greg, the other sheep are Gentiles. That's verse 16, I think. Yeah, uh, Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. The King James uses the word fold, the sheep fold. And I love this because Jesus says, I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. 
and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Now, this is one of those hints that Jesus gives that is later a mystery that's revealed by the Apostle Paul. Um, the mystery of the rapture. Uh, Jesus hints at that in John chapter 14. This is the 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 church, um, uh, an unknown concept at this point while Jesus is sharing. But here's what he's bringing. There's, there's two flocks, Jew and Gentile, and I'm going to bring them together and we're going to be one flock. And that, of course, is called the church. So, um, Greg, the, the other sheep are you and me, Gentiles. Um, Jesus has been just talking about his sheep know his voice, at least the true sheep. Uh, he says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Um, and then he says, as they follow me, um, those are the ones that are really mine. And, of course, we know lots of Jews, most notably the the 11 uh, disciples who became apostles and then later the Apostle Paul and others. Um, they they believed. Uh, 3,000 on the very first day of the church, the, the day of Pentecost, believed. They listened for the voice of God. They heard it, and they responded because they know his voice. So, uh, what he's saying to them, and none of his disciples would have gotten this question at all. They, they, they wouldn't have understood the reference at all. But what he's saying is, look, um, a time is coming when the gospel is going to go to the other sheep. Isaiah uh, talks about um, Gentiles being brought in. It, it shouldn't have been a surprise to Jews, but it was. And so he says a time is coming when Gentiles are going to come in. That began in Acts chapter 10, and it continues until this very day, until the full number of Gentiles, according to the Apostle Paul, comes in. Grace is going to be extended to people like you and me. What an honor and a privilege that is. So, Greg, there's the answer to your question. I appreciate that very, very much. Hey, I was just reminded of something. Thank you to the Holy Spirit for reminding me. I wanted to lead the program with this today. But yesterday we had a call from Harold, and evidently I didn't hear part of what he said when he was asking the question. And I've had some people uh, call me or email me and sort of, uh, did you really mean? And evidently, and I, I haven't re-listened to the question, but evidently uh, Harold said uh, that, that in whatever God's calling him to do, he said, would you sort of try to rent a building and then have a a, a a pastor talk to him one day and a priest the next time or a rabbi the next time? And and I didn't hear that. I, I don't know where my mind was, but but I didn't hear that. So for you, Harold, and for anybody else who's listening, I, I would never tell somebody who's been instructed by Jesus to share the truth with his people, to share things that aren't true. And being a Catholic, the Catholic doctrine is not true, period. I would never let somebody who's going to lie to people or mislead people um, share with them. The same thing for a, a rabbi. Um, if, if a rabbi is going to come and, and just give part of the message without knowing the whole message, why would I want to expose people to that? And I think sometimes, especially those of us who can be a little bit older, and I think George is maybe not as old as I am, but he's he's in my category, or Harold, I mean. Uh, I, I think, um, you know, sometimes we, we were raised that all holy men, you know, were, were good and they had a good message and, and we could listen. That's not true. There is truth and then there are lies and there is no crossover between the two. So, Harold, the only message that you should give anybody is the message of Jesus Christ crucified 
and risen from the dead. And we do that. We do that because uh, we want people to be in heaven. And the only way that they're going to get to heaven is by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's what he said. I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to me or to the Father except through me. And we've got to remember that. So please forgive me, Harold, and anybody else who was offended by my answer. That's certainly uh, not something I, I heard at all because I would have been all over that one. So I appreciate the opportunity to sort of set the record straight. Okay, let's go to my next question. This one is from Anonymous. Um, a lot of people on YouTube and other social media platforms are predicting the rapture in as little as a couple of months. With the way things are going in the world, I'm beginning to believe it. What do you think? Anonymous, I can make this really easy. Um, nobody knows when the rapture of the church is going to happen. Um, when God calls us in a, in a nanosecond, in, in the twinkling of an eye, uh, it will occur. Nobody's going to have time to, to prepare for it. I mean, it's just one of those things that comes suddenly. And and literally, the word, um, when when Jesus says, I'm coming soon, that, that word is better translated suddenly. So there's no warning. Um, we're not going to have a chance to, to, to sort of set things right with God or ask for forgiveness. It's going to happen in an instant. And it's always going to be at a time that we don't know about. So there's no way to predict it. So the people who are predicting uh, the rapture of the church in as little of, uh, as a couple of months are false teachers. Uh, they're not to be listened to, and certainly we don't need to worry about them. Now, having said that, let me speak out of the other side of my mouth with as much sincerity as I possibly can. I believe that the rapture could happen at any moment. That's how near we are. Paul said, because the time is short, we're to redeem the time, making the most of every opportunity. So I believe with all of my heart that the rapture is going to happen. And that that sort of doctrine of imminency, our response to that ought then to be to live holy and righteous lives, sharing Jesus with people everywhere we go. So that's what I think. I know. There's been so much rapture madness. All we need to know is that it could happen at any moment. And we don't want to be caught off guard. We don't want to be caught uh, in a compromising position. So what we do is live our lives as though this was the last day. Now, that's not something to make us feel sad or depressed it's just imagine waking up every day. And this is, I, I'm 100% convinced, this is what fueled the Apostle Paul. He expected every day for Jesus to return. And one of the things that I've done for now 30 years that, that I picked up from the Apostle Paul, I believe with all of my heart, he got up in the morning, every morning, checked the eastern sky and said, okay, this could be it. And I do that literally every morning. Today could be the day. Today, I hope, is the day. And we still got a little bit of time. So, Anonymous, don't pay attention to anybody who's predicting dates or times or, or it's just nonsense. Uh, social media is a disease in this world. And um, 
we've all been trapped by that disease. It's a horrible thing. Most of us, you know, we get sick. We try to to get rid of the sickness. Uh, with social media, I don't know why it is. We know it's not good for us. Uh, we know that it, it distracts us from the mission Jesus has given us, and yet we run to it every single day. We're addicted. My name is Ron, and I'm an addict. So don't listen. Here's a question from Sandy. Um, Pastor Brown, can you tell me what is meant by taking communion in an unworthy manner? Yes, Sandy, I can. It's taking communion with unrepentant sin in your heart. And by that I mean if you're um, uh, living with somebody you're not married to, uh, you have no business coming to the table of communion. If you're if you're holding on to unforgiveness, um, you have no business partaking of communion. The very symbols of that which by which we were forgiven uh if if your home is um filled with anger if there's a lot of ungodly volume if you're living for you instead of living for Jesus then you shouldn't take communion so what do you do you change you say Jesus I'm sorry. And that's why I think a little bit of time, when we do communion the first Sunday of the month, we don't have a whole bunch of time. But I give the church a few minutes individually to reflect on the state of their walk. Paul says to examine our our, our lives daily. Um, and, and I think particularly in communion, we need to go before the Lord and say, okay, what am I withholding from you? What do you want that I've said no to? And um, gives us an opportunity to repent. Now, it's not just a word. We say, oh, I'm sorry. That's not it. But we've got a purpose in our hearts, Andy, to change. And if we do that, and if we genuinely say, Lord, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I want to be changed. Well, then that's the place where we can come to the table of communion in a worthy manner. It's worthiness, not of our own, but it's worthiness or righteousness given to us by Jesus himself. So rather than partake of communion, and we we sort of do it, I think in a lot of churches, a lot of individual Christians, we do it mechanically. And in some places it's taught that the elements are the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ, which is nonsense, but it's a teaching that's been around from the beginning. We just think, okay, well, that kind of cleans everything out. It doesn't. It's our heart that matters. And when we come to the table, we need to come with gratitude, giving thanks for all that he's done. Giving thanks. I mean, think about it this way. God, Almighty God, wants to spend time with you. And if we'll listen I promise you the Holy Spirit will convict your heart. Conviction will draw you closer to God. And then coming to the table, it's like we come and we're the guest of honor. And I like that part the most. So, Sandy, thanks for the question. I hope that answer suffices. You know, uh, I always warn Christians when we're taking At first, I always say on Communion Sunday that it's a family celebration. I, I want unbelievers to know that that it's not wise for them. It's not a good thing for them just to 
go through the motion of partaking of communion because they're here and other people are doing it. So I tell them just to pass on the elements and then I issue an invitation. If they want to give their heart to Christ, we want to welcome them to the table. Um, but, I, but I then warn believers that if there's unrepentant sin in your heart, in other words, if you're doing something, you know it's wrong, but you're going to keep doing it anyway, to, to, to partake of communion is to make a mockery of the grace of God, to make a mockery of Jesus' death. So that's the answer. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Donald has a question. He says, when we're going through something really hard, does it mean that something good is about to happen? Um, Donald, no. I mean, I think we think, okay, I'm going through something hard. God's going to bless me on the other side. We're, we're always going to be blessed when we're walking with Jesus. But uh, I think, Donald, when we're going through something really difficult, what it means is that we need to see Jesus in the middle of that difficulty. You know, we measure things on a this is good or this is bad scale, and if I go through something bad, then I deserve something good. And and that's sort of a silly concept, Donald. So, no, when you're going through something hard, it means you're just like Jesus. Paul called it sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings. Peter and James and John and the others actually rejoiced because they were kind of worthy of suffering for the name. So sometimes we just go through hard stuff because this is a hard world. But something really good always happens in the middle of that hard stuff. And of course, that's when we realize that Jesus is there and we sort of emerge through the trial more like Jesus than we've been before. We trust him a little bit more. But I think it's it's a little um, disingenuous to say, okay, well, I'm going through this. It's really hard. So something really good is on the other side. Jesus, the, the, the good thing is, is with this. I, I've been thinking lately, I, I don't know exactly what message I'm going to be doing this Sunday. Uh, at uh, Calvary Chapel on the south side. But uh, I've been thinking about Daniel's three friends thrown into the fire. And um, when Nebuchadnezzar heated the fire up seven times hotter than normal, uh, he, he, she threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in. And when they were in the fire after having taken a stand for Jesus, I know our God can deliver, but even if he does not, they said. And so they were thrown in the fire and Nebuchadnezzar goes up to the fire and he says, how many did we throw in? The answer, of course, was three. Well, then why do I see four? And the fourth is like the son of the gods. That doesn't mean Nebuchadnezzar got saved, at least not at that point. He did later. But what it means is that Jesus was with those three teenage boys in the fire. They were thrown in bound with ropes and the ropes were burned up, but they weren't. They were walking around, which means they could have walked out of the fire. But they chose to stay in the fire because that's where Jesus was. Well, that's what we need to do, Donald, when we're going through something really hard. We just need to remember every day that he's with me. He's never failed me. We've been through worse. Maybe you haven't been through worse, but, but you've been through some bad things and, and he's always been faithful 
thus I know he will be faithful now. And Donald, if we'll just remember that, the presence of Jesus in the middle of our trial is more than adequate for whatever we're going through. Hope that makes sense to you. Thank you very, very much. Micah has a question. Why don't Christians celebrate the Jewish festivals and holidays? Micah, the reason we don't is because those festivals and holidays were pictures of Jesus, and Jesus fulfilled them all. You know, if you have a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle, and it's spread on the table, you put the last piece in, you don't tear it up and start all over again. You've finished the puzzle. Well, Jesus, the person of Christ, finished the puzzle. And so all of the festivals, all of the festivals, all of the holidays, were just pictures of what we get to enjoy the fullness of. And so we don't need to to celebrate them at all. We can celebrate what they pointed to. I always share this, Micah. I have a picture of Paula that, um, I mean, we've dragged this picture around. Now, we've been together for 51 years. We've dragged this picture around for for probably 50, 49 or 50 of those years. Uh, It was a picture that I had taken of her when she was very, very young. And I love the picture. And that picture is to this day on the wall in my home. And I look at it all the time and I just think, oh, she is so beautiful. But then when Paula comes in to the room, I don't have to look at the picture anymore. Because I get to see something way more beautiful. I get to see Paula alive and in the flesh. Well, that's what Jesus did for us. Why do we have to celebrate the Sabbath? There are people that always want to argue. Well, because Jesus... Hebrews 4 says, is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. He is our Sabbath rest. And if we get that, then there's no need to celebrate it. We can actually live it out. And only with Jesus do things in real time turn out better than our imagination. So, Micah, that's why we don't celebrate the Jewish festivals and holidays. We get saved. We don't become Jews. We get saved, we become born-again Christians. And the same thing is true for Jews who get saved. They don't become Messianic Christians, that's what we call them, or fulfilled Christians. They become born-again believers. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, the most religious man in all of Israel. Nicodemus became a believer And so we get to celebrate minute by minute every day the reality of what all of those festivals and holidays were a picture of. I hope that makes sense to you. I just go to to great care to explain that, Micah, because, um, you know, we have a tendency to think that if I go through some ritual, that'll bring me closer to Jesus. He can't be any closer to you. He cannot be any closer to you than he is living in you. Okay, I'm going to hold this question for the very first question of the second uh, half, and, and I'll give you kind of a heads up. When we come back from the break, uh, moms and dads, if you've got kids around, you probably want to just 
tune down the volume for just a couple of minutes. I won't take long with it, but I'll give you the heads up. So when we come back, I'll do Anonymous's question. In the meantime, uh, here is a question from Frank. He says, how do you approach someone whose spouse recently died and was not a believer to share compassionately without saying the spouse is in hell? Well, Frank, I don't think we would ever want to go and say, you know, too bad she's in hell. Um, I just don't think that no Christian would do that. Um, what I can do, um, in, in this case, the, 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 the survivor is a believer. Um, all we can do is direct him to Jesus. That's all we can do. So um, I just think compassion ought to be easy. We grieve with people. We mourn with people. We don't have to have the right words or the right little trite sayings or the Christian platitudes. All we need to do is be there with them and for them. Now, I have literally, Frank, been asked when somebody died, does that mean that my husband or my wife is in hell? And I tell them the truth in love. I say, well, if they were a born-again Christian, then they're in the presence of Jesus right now. If not, then the answer is yes, they're in eternal torment. And there's no point in lying to somebody that would sort of cheapen our faith. But what we do is we just tell them, Jesus will be your source of comfort. Run to him. He understands how you're feeling. He understands your pain. And in this case, his heart is more broken than yours. Real quickly, we got to stop compromising on what's true just because we don't want to offend. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in our week. 340-9585. We'd love your live calls. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half or final 30 minutes of the week 340-9585 for your live calls and questions um i i told people as at the top of this this half hour, I was going to do a question, turn down your volume. And Jimmy, you hold on for just a minute. I won't be long with this, and we'll get to you right away. It's an anonymous question, and he or she asks, how much freedom do we have in the marriage bed? Are all sexual acts okay if both partners agree? Anonymous, with the exception of sodomy, uh, the Bible cannot be more clear that anal sex is forbidden. But with the exception of that, then yeah, I would say that all sexual acts were free to engage in as long as both partners agree. And uh, God gave us sex to enjoy. He wants us to enjoy each other's bodies. He wants this to be um, really an act of worship. Uh, That's why sex is sacred and is only to be committed between a husband and a wife. But uh, in the marriage bed, uh, you are free to enjoy one another and have a great time doing it. And Jesus is there. And I don't mean that in a creepy way. Jesus is there. This is his gift to you. 
And he says, enjoy, with that one exception. And, of course, that exception is sodomy. So that would be forbidden. Other than that, uh, please feel free to enjoy one another. Okay, let's go to line one and talk with Jimmy. Jimmy, thanks for being patient. You're on the air. Hi. um, I read this scripture today, and it brought conviction to my heart. Good. That I know that I failed and failed in this. Because I was afraid of being convicted, especially at work. But it was Luke fourteen twenty seven. Can you read it? No, I don't. Have, I, I I I have it. I have it on something else. I, I'm not. I don't have my Bible on with me right now. Okay, and and anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. That's the one you're talking about. Yes, sir. Yeah, these are hard ones, and and if you if you add the 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 verse in just before that, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And the idea there, Jimmy, is that we sometimes, in fact, we often put people in our lives ahead of our commitment to Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, look, if, if if you're one of those people and there are things in your life or people in your life that come before me, then um, you, you cannot be my disciple. And, and it's a state of adjustment. But the reason I said good when you said uh, you read it and you were convicted today, uh, that's the Holy Spirit who's saying, uh, Jimmy, I have more for you. Jimmy, get closer to me. And that's a good thing. And I think that's a verse, Jimmy, that would would uh, convict most people most of the time. But it's a constant reminder that the only place we have any peace, any joy, and I would add the only place that we're safe, is by putting Jesus in our lives before anyone and everyone, everything. And if we would get that, I think all of our lives, our, our walk with Jesus would be richer and fuller, more abundant. And that's certainly what Jesus wants. Does that make sense to you? Yes, it does. I'm just I'm just grateful you can be convicted, Jimmy. That's what reading the Bible is all about. By the way, that's one of the reasons people don't read it. Well, it just brought tears to my eyes. Yeah, that's good. And see, that's when you can say, Jesus, please forgive me. I'm so sorry for anything that's come in my heart that takes a place of priority over you. I'm sorry. I repent. And then, Jimmy, it's like it never happened, except now your life has fresh power in it. And that's the that's the place we need to be. Uh, imagine, God, when you woke up this morning, God knew there was something in your life. Could have only just been a, a, a brief detour. But he said, no, I love Jimmy too much to let him, let him remain on that detour. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to convict him when he reads that passage of Scripture, and I'm going to draw him back to me, and I'm going to provide even more of myself for Jimmy. That's the power of conviction, Jimmy. Amen. Good for you. Yeah. Good for you, buddy. God bless you. We love you. Take care. Let's go to, I think, James from Belmont, Texas. James, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Uh, well, thank you, Pastor Ron. Uh, uh-huh. Gosh, you know, listening to Jimmy, that draws tears to my eyes, too. I, <laughs> my uh, my prayers go out for him. And just a, a reminder, because it was true for me, you know, that kind of a conviction is one that doesn't really require a lot of sleeping on. That requires a lot of 
of just uh, application and stepping out on faith, and that's that's hard to do. Um, but uh, yeah, my prayers for him. Um, I, whenever I'm looking at, well, there's two questions, of course. You know, I try to keep this down to about twice a month, calling <laughs> and all. Um, I have one, and it's about uh, Romans. And when I'm looking at Romans, um, uh, of course, there's a lot to the greeting, and it is just a greeting. And in the salutation, um, there's a comment that's found in both places. Um, Romans 1, 5, um, and of course, uh, like I said, it is the greeting, but it says, um, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it says, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Um, it's it's saying uh, the obedience of faith. And then when I look in the doxology, um, uh, it's uh, verse 26, um, chapter 16. Then it talks about the mystery that was kept secret from long ago, but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to us in all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Um, You know, Paul talks about um, um, he talks about the gospel. You know, he's not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of of God for salvation. And he also talks about uh, righteousness shall live by faith. Um, I've never seen any place where it really out and out just says that this is your great commission, like maybe it does in Matthew, that came from Jesus. Um, so when he's talking about the obedience of faith, um, can you be, can you and, and just either tell me where else to read a little bit or, or give me a little bit of insight on that? Because to me, I'm torn between... Um, uh, his saying that faith, um, that you know, that we should live by faith. But I think part of that living by faith is um, is the sharing. I can't help but fall back on the gospel because I think that that Paul was very much trying to emphasize the gospel and application of the gospel uh, down to the nuts and bolts when it comes to Romans. But I'm still puzzled in. And especially since it's there at the start and at the end, and this is a very long-winded question. I'm sorry, but you kept me on hold. It's okay. Um, it, it said uh, the obedience of faith. What, what's your thought? Okay, thank you for that, James. Um, I think we've we got to remember the nature of Paul's epistles as opposed to Jesus' directives or commands when he was talking to his disciples and in many cases was talking by extension through them all the way down to us. And this, this idea of being obedient to sharing our faith uh, runs clearly throughout the Scriptures. Um, in the Gospel accounts, uh, in the Great Commission, of course, and then through all of the epistles and not just the Apostle Paul. For example, when he's writing to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, the first three verses 
uh, are a description of what the gospel is. This is my gospel, and 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 that's what we share with people. Now, in Paul's letters, and we we have to remember in the letter to the Romans, this was a church that while he knew some people there, this was a church that never met the Apostle Paul. When he was writing to Rome, he was writing to them from Corinth. Um, uh, he didn't have uh, any any kind of a background. And, and because Rome was sort of the center of the ancient world, he wanted to make this the, the most complete doctrinal treatment of our living faith um, that, that had been ever written to that point. And certainly it's still the most complete treatment of our faith um, uh, to this very day in, in the 21st century. So what he's saying is, is uh, he's singling out different groups of people throughout the letter. And he's encouraging them, not only telling them how to be obedient, but he's encouraging them to step out by faith and be obedient. Now, the, the, the theme of, of uh, the just shall live by faith or the righteous shall live by faith um, is, is in direct response to some of the heresies of the day. Um, he, he's simply saying that, that uh, and I'll, I'll give it to you in Jesus' words, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. Uh, this is how we do it. Now, let me say this too, James, because I think um, the most important thing that we can get from Paul's letters, and it's not just here, uh, uh, the, his little precious letter to Philemon, the sixth verse, I pray that you'll be active in sharing your faith. Uh, so that you have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. Um, that's exhortation. And throughout uh, is exhortation. Now, in the first chapter, what he's talking about, this is who he is in the introduction. He, he's, it's, it's, uh, he's a stranger to many. And in the introduction, he's saying, we have been given apostleship. And when he means that, he's speaking in the third person. We have been given apostleship. It changes at the end of the letter because what he's saying now um, uh, that that uh, Jesus is the fulfillment of the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now it's revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all nations might believe and obey him. And you can go all the way back to the 16th verse of chapter 1 where he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. So what he's doing is he's exhorting them over and over and over to be active in sharing their faith. That is the faith that comes, uh, the obedience that comes from faith. Um, I always talk about faith. like it, it's imp- Sometimes we just understand it intellectually. But when faith gets to our feet and we start moving out in obedience to the Lord, well, that's when God really begins to use us. James, you didn't ask this, but one of the things I think is truly lacking in in many, if not most, pulpits, and I'm talking even about some of my uh, brothers from Calvary Chapel who are wonderful Bible teachers, we, we can sort of get carried away with teaching and leave out the exhortation. And my whole point, whenever I'm teaching the Bible, I, I want to give people... Uh, I want them to teach what the Word says. I want to teach them what it means. But I want them to be able to use it that day when they leave church. And so I'm always exhorting them to step out in faith 
because the righteous, the just, shall live by faith. And that is an Old Testament theme that Paul says finds its fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. Did you have another question, James? Well, and yes, I do. And and for this one, um, um, I don't uh, disagree with something that you said earlier. Uh, Like, for instance, I do believe that the baptism um, symbolically represents, um, uh, it's a visual uh, for me, because I'm so simple-minded, um, mm-hmm. that we literally, um, or that we spiritually ha- have died, that old person has died, and the new person comes out of the water, that new spirit, you're being born again. Uh, and so I get that, and, um, and, and to me, it's very symbolic. I don't believe that, even though spiritually it did occur, uh, it's very it's 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 kind of confusing when it comes to the elements and i think about john chapter six and he was talking about um how uh, moses uh and 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 how their ancestors had uh, manna from heaven and he says well i am the manna from heaven mm-hmm. and he I said that. that whoever whoever eats of the, i love it too it's just great i mean you know and, and it's very simple-minded for me um it's very visual, which is what I guess I mean to say. I'm a little dyslexic, very left-handed, and I'm old. So um, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give uh, the world is going to be my flesh. Well, now, to me, that was his uh, his sacrifice. He gave uh, the ultimate uh, sacrifice that God requires because of my sin. And he did that not just for me, but for everybody. And so that, to me, is what he is referring to there. And yet he takes it on down further when they say, oh, don't we know his mother and his father, and he gives us flesh to eat, and, you know, who, why is he giving us flesh to eat? And he says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last days, for my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink, true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood abides in me, and I in them. And then he he uh, tells about uh, the living Father who had sent him and how they dwell with one another, and, and that this bread that comes down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died, uh, whoever feeds on this bread lives forever. So this is something he actually dwelled on for a long time, but he never turned around and he never said that – well, possibly about, don't we know his father? I mean, because, uh, you know, he's the son of Joseph, right? But he does uh, bring his heavenly father into relationship in the answer. But he doesn't really mention about the eating of the flesh. He doesn't say, you know, you're not getting this. Let me explain. He, it seems to have passed that sort of thought. And so yeah, think- it makes it very confusing, I think, for just, for some of us to read this and not be able to see how some people can get it set in their mind very physical and literal that he might have meant something other than what I'm thinking symbolically. Yeah, I can explain that to you. And, and you've heard me say, James, many times 
that that unless you understand the Jewishness of Jesus's ministry, then then a lot of it is going to go right over our head. Uh, his audience. Do you remember when he gave the "Eat the flesh of my flesh and drink the blood of my blood" speech? When when all the people were coming after him and the and the the, the disciples were excited because uh, I'll put it in modern terms, his church was really growing, and everybody was following. The disciples thought that was a good thing, and Jesus, because he knew the heart of all men, he gave them that speech. And I'm telling you, unless you eat the flesh of my flesh and drink the blood of my blood, you cannot be my disciple. You can't follow me. Well, the crowd got that. They got the meaning specifically. And that's why they all began to leave. They knew that what Jesus was asking for was a total consumption. In other words, when he said, I'm the bread of life, you got to eat me. He was asking for a complete and total commitment, and they got it. And because they weren't prepared to make that kind of a commitment, well, that's why they all left. And the disciples would see him leaving, and they'd think, what did you do? And and uh, remember, that's the place where they said, well, well what's, what about us? We've left everything to follow you. And then Jesus made him the promise. So he was speaking very Jewish. To, to eat at a table with somebody was to to make them, uh, you know, we, we say in Spanish, mi, mi casa es su casa. Um, when you eat with somebody, you're becoming one with them. That's very Jewish context. And, and Jesus is saying, look, if you're going to follow me, it's got to be my way or the highway. And they weren't ready to make that commitment. And and, and it, it's like some of the agricultural parables. We don't get them because we're not an agrarian uh, culture like, like uh, Jesus was ministering in. Uh, but believe me, his audience, James, got it all. So this isn't about baptism or this isn't about communion any more than than circumcision was was about cutting away uh, of the physical flesh paul when he's talking to church at rome says circumcision real circumcision circumcision of the heart so those are times when you know that he's speaking figuratively and what the point he's making is simply this i'm concerned about your heart and i want all of it and that's why the people left so it's not a, um, um, boy, if you don't get baptized or if you don't get uh, circumcised or if you don't get uh, partake of my flesh or, or drink my blood, it wasn't that at all. What he was saying is, look, I, de- I require everything. The Father sent me. I'm the true bread from heaven. And uh, they got, it. well, from now on, give us this bread. And we said, I'm the bread of life. And he's he's requiring them to to surrender every ounce of their being to him. James, I got to move on, but let me let me share this. Read First uh, um, Kings chapter nineteen um, when uh, Elijah uh, goes to Elisha and tells him to follow him, and at that point Elisha gave everything he had cut up his oxen, burned his his carts, his tools. Uh, and then he followed Elijah through the first two chapters of of uh, Second Kings. Um, um, he understood that he had to cut all ties to any rights that he had to, end, uh, had to cut all connection to this world and follow Elijah, the man of God. Well, Jesus is saying basically the same thing. 
Great questions. Thank you very, very much. I think we want to be literal whenever we can, but sometimes we can be a little bit too literal. Jesus was saying, and and they understood completely, that uh, I will accept nothing else. And I think sometimes, James, especially in our culture, uh, we think that we can give a little bit of our heart to Jesus and we're going to be okay, we're going to get to heaven. And uh, the answer is no. You gotta, he, he wants all of us or none of us. We've got uh, inside four minutes now. Robert said, if God did not create evil, where did evil come from? Uh, Robert, evil came from humans. Well, Satan was first. Of course, he wasn't a human. He was uh, uh, Lucifer, the, the angel, the glorious angel. Um, but God gave him and then the other angels, and later he gave us free will. And that's where evil came from. It's, it's what happened to us. Every man, every woman who's ever lived, every angelic being, had to make a choice. I'm going to serve God or not. Now, the angels, when they fell, and, and Lucifer among them, uh, when they fell, um, uh, Jesus said, too much is given, much more is required. They lived in the presence of God. They only got a one-time choice. You know, angels aren't being born now, so it's not like uh, angels, new angels get new choices. Angels made a one-time forever choice. You and I, of course, because we've got people being born all the time and, and our lives move along day by day, year after year, um, we, we can make that choice as long as we have breath. That's what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is, is rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit who convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment, if we reject that work uh, and we die in that condition, then there's no remedy for sin left and we're condemned forever. But free will is where evil came, and it came from the heart of man. Now, I don't understand. I honestly don't understand how um, Adam and Eve uh, could have chosen. Eve, we know, was deceived. Adam made a... Uh, a free will choice to rebel. He chose Eve over God, and and that's when death entered the world. Um, then, of course, every man born after the fall was born, man and woman, was born with a sin nature, and so that's where evil comes from. Evil comes from the heart. You know, Robert, we, we have so many babies here at the church, and and babies are so cute, and we love to hold them. We got a whole bunch of, of uh, ladies at the church. We, I call them baby thieves. As soon as a new baby comes, they're holding them and, and listening to the noises. And the babies are so precious. But it doesn't take mom and dad long to find out when they get that baby home from the hospital. That baby's got a sin nature. It didn't just happen. God didn't create it. We were born with that sin nature. And because we were born with that sin nature... Um, um, the minute we have to make a choice, we're typically going to make the choice to do evil instead of doing that which is right and good before God. Good question, Robert. Thanks very much. Hey, we're coming to the end of the program. Um, tonight I'm going to be teaching on Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, uh, the helmet of salvation. And I'm going to only touch on the sword of the Spirit. Uh, if you've been having some battles with uh, the enemy of your soul. Um, it's a good lesson to, to listen to. If you have questions about your eternal security, maybe tonight you can put on your helmet. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Thank you for tuning us in. It means more to us than we can imagine. 
May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. I'll be back, Lord willing, on Monday at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. See you then.